0: You're listening to Do Justice, the podcast. This Good Friday episode deals in themes of violence and execution. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Friday morning, that they took me from the cell, and I saw they had a carpenter to crucify as well. You can blame it on the pilot, you can blame it on worldview, you can blame it on the devil. It's God I accuse. God they ought to crucify instead of you and me I said to the carpenter, a hanging on the tree You can blame it on heaven, you can blame it on me You can blame it on the apple, but that I can't believe It was God that made the devil, and the woman, and the man. And there wouldn't be an apple if it wasn't in the plan. It's God they ought to crucify instead of you and me. I said to the carpenter hanging on the tree, Barabbas was a killer And they let Barabbas go But you are being crucified For nothing that I know But your God is up in heaven And he doesn't do a thing With a million angels watching And they never move on me It's God they want to crucify Instead of you and me I said to the carpenter, a-hanging-on-the-tree. To hell with Jehovah, to the carpenter I said, I wish that a carpenter had made the
0: world instead. Goodbye, and good luck to you. Our ways will soon divide.
1: Remember me in heaven the man you hung beside It's God they ought to crucify instead of you and me I said to the carpenter
0: Hello and welcome to the Good Friday episode of Do Justice, the podcast. That was Friday Morning by British singer songwriter Sydney Carter. My name is Brianne Swan. I use she and her pronouns, and I am Minister for Social and Ecological Justice with Shining Waters Regional Council, part of the United Church of Canada. I am recording from my office in what is now known as Toronto, Ontario, which has been a site of human activity for more than 15,000 years. This land is the territory of the Huron Wendat, the Petun First Nation, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit. Today, Toronto is still home to many Indigenous people from across Turtle Island, and I am grateful to have the opportunity to live and love and work in this community and on this land. I am also mindful of broken covenants and the need to strive to make right with all our relations. I want to take a moment and extend a huge thank you to Alexa Gilmore for creating and sharing her Lenten series Courageous Hope with the listeners of Do Justice. There were moments where I felt my heart breaking open from the stories being shared. And if you've not yet had a chance to listen to Courageous Hope, all six episodes are available as bonus segments on the Do Justice podcast feed. They are well, well worth a listen. Today, or at least the day this episode is being released, is Good Friday. We've moved through Lent. We've made it through Jesus' triumphant entrance into the city, the turning of the tables at the temple, being anointed for his burial with costly perfume and the Last Supper. Judas has betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and Jesus has been tried and ultimately sentenced to die. It is a drama Christians engage with every year, and for me it is the most powerful point in the liturgical year. Jesus doesn't do anything wrong, but the world kills him anyway. The reflection for this week's episode will be a little bit longer than usual, so grab a coffee and get comfy. We're going to be talking about Jesus' execution and the ongoing use of the death penalty as a means of torture and punishment. If you're looking for a Good Friday experience which is a little more just scripture and song, I've placed a link in the show notes to our 2018 Good Friday episode titled What If God Was One of Us, a passion narrative told through scripture and song from the 1990s. But moving further into this episode, here is Ainsley McNeeney with her song Underground, from her 2014 album, Bones Are Forever. You can find links to more of Ainsley's music by going to our show notes. Mark chapter 15 verses twenty one through forty one. They compelled a passer-by who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now, so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lema sabachthani. Which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to take him. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion, who had stood facing him, saw, that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's Son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Siloam. These used to follow him and provided for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. A few months ago, as the Trump administration was winding down, I was online and came across a conversation between two American ministers playing out on Facebook. The first minister was talking about their upcoming sermon, and how it was going to incorporate a reflection on the flurry of executions being carried out before the Biden administration took over. The second minister responded, entirely offended, saying they hoped the first minister wasn't intending to preach that sermon during a regular Sunday morning worship, because there were children present as well as elderly people who didn't want to be confronted with that kind of violence in their safe and holy place. And it was all I could do, all I could do, to hold back from launching into a very, very long-winded response. Now, I don't know how many of you go through this, you write a long, thoughtful comment, and realize, nah, it's just not worth posting it. But it just seems so, I don't know, disconnected, because capital punishment and execution is so integral to the Christian story that to be offended that a minister would be talking about it during a sermon seems very, very strange to me. And so as this episode will be released on Good Friday, I think it's a really good time to be piecing together the connection between the ongoing use of the death penalty in the world and the story of a man who was killed at the hands of the Roman state, and that we tell over and over again, year after year after year. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you will know that capital punishment is an issue that is very near and dear to me, and the people whom it affects, those who have been sentenced to die, their families and their victims, are included among the people in my life, I care for very deeply. But first, before we get into the thick of things, I want to get a few dates, facts, and statistics out of the way. I'm also going to be focusing mostly on information from within the United States because A, they still have the death penalty, and B, Canada is so culturally similar, we are inextricably tied to our neighbors in the South. However, many countries Canada is in relationship with retain the death penalty as punishment for certain crimes, including China, whom Amnesty International reports kills thousands of people a year, and Japan. Canada's last executions took place on December 11, 1962, with the hangings of Ronald Turpin and Arthur Lucas. By 1963, successive governments commuted all death sentences as a matter of policy. In 1976, Bill C-84 was given royal assent, which removed the death penalty as an option for civilian offenses. It remained on the books for certain military crimes until 1999. It couldn't actually be used. But it was still on the books. It's all very confusing, but there you go. Canada no longer has the death penalty. And if you're wondering about the United Church of Canada's position, this denomination has made statements opposing the death penalty in 1956. 1960, 1966, 1972, and 1984, which, despite the death penalty no longer being in use, is actually a pretty interesting time period when discussing the death penalty in Canada. It was right about this time that public support for bringing back capital punishment began to increase. United Church Minister James Scott, who more recently was heavily involved with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, led a years-long public education campaign to prevent the return of the death penalty in Canada. This all culminated with a free vote in the House of Commons on June thirtieth, 1987, regarding a motion that would have seen the restoration of the death penalty. Brian Mulroney was the Prime Minister, with the first majority progressive-conservative mandate in more than 25 years. The vote was split 147 against bringing back the death penalty, and 128 for its reinstatement. There has not been a parliamentary vote about the death penalty since. However... And this was shocking when I first heard the stat. More than half of all Canadians, more than half, are in support of the death penalty. So while I often hear comments suggesting capital punishment isn't really of any concern in Canada, I wonder if all it would take is a certain government, with certain people, championing its return for the death penalty to be back on the voting table in the House of Commons. But almost as troubling to me is that although the Catholic Church and most mainline Protestant denominations reject the death penalty, Christians are even more likely than the non-religious population to support capital punishment, which seems pretty odd to me because, you know, it didn't really work out so well for Jesus. And this brings me to why I think it is so important to talk about what happened on Good Friday— a day we commemorate with prayers and music and lament. Because there is a danger when Good Friday gets too sanitized and we lose that peace that this death, this torturous and violent death, was state-sanctioned. Jesus was sentenced to death under the laws of the land, an occupied land, yes, but Jesus' execution was completely legal. And yet, We understand it to be cruel and unjust. It's kind of part of the point. There are many different theologies surrounding the cross, and I want to be clear that in this particular moment, I am sharing my own personal theology or theologies that are not any sort of definitive understanding that represents the position of the United Church. But the understanding of Jesus's crucifixion that I lean strongest towards at this point in my life is that the truths Jesus spoke and lived out were so gosh darn threatening to the ruling classes and the state that the only option seen was to kill him. And not just kill him, but kill him brutally and publicly so others wouldn't get it into their head that it was a good idea to pick up where he had left off. God comes and walks and lives and gets angry and cries and laughs and loves among us. Those in power kill God. There are a lot of people within mainline Protestantism who would fall within the category of, quote, those in power. But spoiler alert to Sunday, God still gets the last word. In the Gospels, we read of Jesus caring an awful lot about poor people and those whom society and culture has left behind. And yet those very people are overwhelmingly the ones who end up convicted of capital crimes and given death sentences, especially poor people who are black or poor people who are Hispanic. And as a side note, although the death penalty isn't currently part of the equation in Canada, similar cruel and unjust forces that lead to Black and Hispanic people in the United States being incarcerated lead to the incarceration of Indigenous people within this country. Men who have been sentenced to death whom I am in relationship with, all of them were poor. You do not end up on death row if you have money. And the only person I have interacted with on death row who came from a family with money ended up having his sentence commuted to life in prison. People who come from cycles of violence, cycles of poverty where if there was a crack to fall through, there the sentenced person slid right through. These are the people who are sentenced to die. I think of a man named Rolando. My friend Rolando. Now, the Rolando I knew was a professing Christian. Incredibly kind and generous with his spirit. And he was funny, and he would tease me about the Blue Jays all the time when they were in that heated series with the Texas Rangers in 2016. But he also did a terrible, heinous thing. Acting as a hitman, he murdered an innocent woman upon the orders of her husband, who wanted to collect insurance money. Rolando was paid $2,000 for this killing, which he intended to use to fuel his drug habit. He was labeled a monster and inhuman. But with just a little bit of digging, it didn't take very long to realize that Rolando himself was a victim of absolutely incredible and unimaginable abuse as a child— And the people who abused Rolando were probably abused themselves, too. He was never given the supports he needed with his family or in school. He was failed in so many of the ways humans can be failed. I think something happens when people who have committed violent crimes become humanized. We realize, perhaps, that we are not so different. And that, that is absolutely terrifying. It's terrifying for me anyway. Because a couple of things are at play here. One, I need to question if I also hold some of that same quality of darkness within me. And two, if there isn't something just inherently bad about people who have been sentenced to death, if it's not just a matter of them being monsters or something other than human... Then what else has contributed to these mostly men? And another side note, the way sexism and misogyny affects the death penalty sentences is a topic for another episode. But what else has contributed to these men sinking so low as to do these terrible, terrible things? What cracks did they fall through that made killing somebody else seem like an acceptable thing to do, at least in the moment? And if society and the social safety net has failed to prevent the circumstances which lead to the chain of choices that then lead to committing murder, does society also hold some responsibility for the murder victim's death? This is, of course, a bit simplistic, and I'm not dismissing individual agency and responsibility and choice into this equation but I don't emphasize it because it has been the primary narrative for so long and I really don't believe it's the strongest influence. But if society is culpable or even complicit in creating and fostering the circumstances where murders happen, then it is no wonder that our societal structure would want to resist that culpability and so scapegoating is the inevitable result. And here is where we get back to the cross once again. Jesus was threatening. He was disruptive. In the United Church of Canada's Song of Faith, we say that it was because Jesus was threatening that those exercising power sought to silence Jesus. He suffered abandonment and betrayal State sanctioned torture and execution. He was crucified. Rolando Ruiz was executed on March 7, 2017, during the first week of Lent. He was the 1,447th person to be executed in the United States since 1976 what is referred to as the modern era of the death penalty. Normally, executions in Texas take place at 6 p.m., but Rolando had three different appeals in the courts. For nearly five hours, he waited in the holding cell, which has a view to the execution chamber. Finally, when the last appeal was denied, he was quickly taken to the death chamber And I mean, it is quick. The tie-down team can get a man strapped onto the table in 20 to 30 seconds. Each man is assigned a limb to buckle in. I wonder if there was one man assigned to each of Jesus' limbs as he was nailed to that cross. The gurney and the cross are remarkably similar in shape. Rolando was dead shortly after 11 p.m. And back home in Toronto, I was praying and crying and praying and hoping. Because what else is there to do? I was thinking about Mary and the women who were weeping at Jesus' feet. I often wonder if Jesus would have still been able to smell the nard that had been used to anoint him. I wonder if he was able to cling to the scent and remember how much he was loved, not only by God, but, and especially among a jeering crowd, by friends who were very much of the earth. I hope that Rolando is able to hold on to the words of love he received from his friends through letters and visits as he uttered his final words. I am at peace. Jesus Christ is Lord. I love you all. I'm not saying that Rolando is Jesus. I'm not saying convicted criminals are Jesus. Well, at least not entirely. This has already gone on for more than 20 minutes, and we just don't have time to go down that rabbit hole. But what I am saying is that the same forces that led to Jesus' death, fear and scapegoating and power being threatened, continue to be at work in the ways we invoke punishment, particularly judicial punishment, in our society. And the ultimate and most tragic manifestation of this is the ongoing endorsement of the punishment used against the God whom we worship which has been disproportionately used against the very people, Jesus especially named as in need of care and support. I don't like feeling that I am complicit in the crucifixion. And I don't want to think of myself as having even the smallest piece of responsibility in violent acts perpetrated by broken people. But if I'm not part of furthering a vision for the world where equity and justice prevail, I am complicit. And that, that is why on this day, of all days, I think it's important not to lose sight of what it is we're actually talking about. Legally endorsed, state-sanctioned torture and violence because truth and being confronted with truth was just too threatening.
1: Watch the band through a bunch of dancers with salt. come, it doesn't matter. Courage, my word. It didn't come, it doesn't matter. casa
0: Thank you so much for listening to Do Justice, the podcast. We will be back next time with a conversation about guaranteed livable income and a campaign of the United Church of Canada on the eve of the Liberal Convention on April 8th, 2021. But until then, take care of yourselves and your neighbours, and remember that we are all neighbors. We'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Shining Waters Regional Council, an administrative grouping within the United Church of Canada. You can find us online at www.shiningwatersregionalcouncil.com dot c a.